0: welcome back to another episode of steven's sentiments i have a very fun episode for you guys today enjoy i am joined by one of my favorite people uh, my uncle york i gave him a shout out in episode uh when mason's episode which i believe was episode three because he's the second oldest, like I am. And the second oldest are always the coolest in the family. And you, I've known York my It's head. a real thing. It's a real thing, dude. I'm not just making it up. I mean, I think all second oldest would agree. But I, I think if you got an unbiased firstborn or anyone else, <laughs> they would agree as well. Uh, I worked for York for a year in California as his private chef and... Kind of just buddy doing really anything you asked me to do. Mainly we're just hanging out and having a good time and going flying in your helicopter.
1: You were like the big brother to my kids. That was like a big brother, but was nice. Never beat him up.
0: Yeah, I'm not going to beat up the little kids. Um, which York has eight children and they're some of the coolest kids on planet Earth. And it was it was awesome hanging out with them. I would go free diving with Isaac uh, in the afternoon. Get back in time to make dinner. Uh, It was that was really the life. When I look back, I remember. When I got a real job after that, after that internship, it was like 11 o'clock in the morning at my new real job. And I was like, this blows. I cannot do this (laughs) full time. Like I need to go to the beach. I need to, I need to go camp on the backside of Catalina, anything. So it's hard to get back into the groove. And now I'm just, uh, now I'm just used to it. Uh,
1: Well, we missed, we, we missed those days. Those were great days.
0: Yeah, dude. And you did hire another private chef years after I had left and I'm sure she was better at cooking than I am, but there's no way she was cooler with the kids and like doing more fun things.
1: Honestly, she not even close and her food was like too healthy. It was like, it was like fine food. Mm. Like if we can't pronounce the name of this dish, then it's too fancy for us.
0: (laughs) That's what I like to hear. That makes me feel a little bit better. Uh, I thought it'd be fun to have York on here for a couple of reasons. One, he's an amazing person, but he's also, he was involved in property management for pretty much your whole life. And you were listening to my yeah. podcast and you said, dude, I have, I have similar stories. Yours actually are a lot more crazy than mine are. Um, I remember when I was working for you, you had told me about this tenant. I believe you had to evict him um, and he kind of hold up in his house but why don't you tell our listeners a little bit about that story because it is a gnarly, gnarly story.
1: Okay, so this might take like a good 10 minutes.
0: That's what I like, dude.
1: Cool. that cool? That's cool. My wife and kids aren't here. You just want to launch into it?
0: Yeah, dude. Why don't you start us from, okay, the, this why don't you start us from the beginning?
1: Is, okay, this is a little bit of a talking. Okay, from the beginning. Fast forward twenty years later, um, running a family business, um, we uh, have lots of tenants, um, really, or even the state of in, But um, <laughs> property management, specifically mobile home parks, and it's an interesting business because we own the we own the the pad and the streets and the walls and the clubhouse and the pool, um, but people own their own homes. Yeah. Double-wide, single wides, manufactured housing, whatever you want to call them, trailers. And and so it's just this really interesting business model of um, your home is personal property, but you're renting our space. And it's kind of a permanent, in- semi-permanent installation on the space. So I only point that out to say it's unusual in the sense that um, it's not like evicting someone from an apartment. Yeah, Evicting someone from your mobile home park means... That they're going to incur great expense to move a semi-permanent, you know, structure from your from your property. Yeah, and it's theirs too, and so they don't want to leave it behind. So a lot of times, you know, an eviction can become a really emotionally and traumatic experience. Um, well, obviously for the for the homeowner or the tenant, but yeah. it can also become kind of traumatic for the landlord. Yeah. Um, so this one particular individual, he actually has a really cool name a very intimidating name. I'm not going to use it, It's very but intimidating, it's something that's dude. like kind of scary. Like, yeah, it is. So let's just call, let's just say his name is, um, uh, maybe Danny dragon. <laughs> no, I don't like that. It's like that though. Um, or Bradley bear. Um, <laughs> let's go with, let's go with Bradley bear or no, maybe grizzly, Gary grizzly. Let's say that's <laughs> his name. So, um, we have a lot of we have a lot of tenants across the United States so the fact that I even know the name it, um, at the time I was the president of the company that that managed all these properties the fact that I even knew this guy's name means that he really stood out so we're having our weekly staff meeting and one of the property managers and this is a high level you know there's like five guys at the top who oversee everything one of these five guys says hey we have um, we have a tenant eviction that we're doing and and um normally it's by the book you know we just we just go through whatever the local law is let the attorneys handle it and it's pretty smooth but he said this one's this one's not going well because we got to the point where he need to be forcibly removed by the sheriff because he wasn't complying with just the standard eviction process it was for non-payment of rent and um he said i'm bringing it up because actually when the sheriff went to go have him removed, he, uh, he wouldn't let the sheriff in lock the door and said, Hey, I'm armed. If you step, foot in my house, you know, you shot. So the SWAT team gets called out. (laughs) And of course, you know, any good landlord just wants to lay low, just collect his rent, maintain his property and do his business. You do not want a SWAT in, in, in your organization. So the SWAT team shows up and, um, they forcibly remove him temporarily because I don't know if they put him in jail for a day or what. But a week later, he's back in this home, and he says, um, "And so he's there, and now he's like locked himself in." And the situation even a little more painful is that he says, "I'm not leaving." And somehow he got a hold of my name because I was the president of the management company,
0: which is funny and so because- he would at
1: night go out and write poetry. Say again?
0: Well, I was just going to say, it's funny that you even know this guy exists, like you mentioned, because there is like five filters before this guy should even get to to you. You know, you're the president of the company. You shouldn't even know this guy exists. And so that's how serious it was that you know he's even one of your tenants.
1: Yeah. So let's say this property manager. So he says in this meeting, he's like, "So, so I've actually got some picture tree night like with paintbrush and he, he'll write one and then we'll have it painted white the next day and he'll come back and he'll write another one and um they're really kind of disturbing because he'd refer to me as i i can't even say it i mean what's your circulation Get back. <laughs> I'm back <kidding. laughs> anyway he would write this poetry about your gallon basically and um he it it was very unflattering what he would write so anyhow he says this is a problem he could be a danger we think he's gone um you know he went and trashed his home filled with a bunch of dead fish you know comes back once in a while to write this poetry but we should we should just be aware that this guy could be a threat (laughs) and i kind of said oh my gosh this is kind of a problem And our office manager, this woman who'd been working for the family for her whole life, she was probably around 60 at the time, she says, "Um, should, you know, the the only defense we have in this office is, I mean, should we know this guy's name, what he looks like? Should we be aware? Should we start locking our door? And I said, actually, that's a good point. Let's talk about that. And I said, look, if this really happens, And they say, hey, I want to meet with the property manager or I want want to meet with York. If this guy comes in, say, be nice. Say, okay, have a seat. Um, He's in a meeting right now, but let me see if I can get him out of the meeting. Say, come back to my office. We'll call the cops. Say, we have an emergency. Come get this guy. And then you'll come back up front and say, hey, he'd be happy to meet with you. Yeah, he's just stepping out of the meeting. Give him five minutes and he'll be here. Hopefully the cops are there, right? So this is our plan. Okay, so fast forward two or three months, haven't heard anything about this guy. And, um, and I only tell this part because it's, a, it's like self defamation to even bring it up. <laughs> um, but it kind of plays into the end of the story. Yeah. So we think it's really funny on April fools to get one of our buddies to pretend he's this Gary Grizzly yeah. or Bradley bear, whatever it is. And who, by the way, I should say he was in Vietnam. He was captured and held in a, Tiger Cage, which is one of these bamboo cages that are like aren't tall enough for you to stand up in or long enough for you to lay down in. Oh my god. Apparently he was in this cage for like four years. So this guy, even if he started out as a perfectly good human being, he was kind of damaged mentally and psychologically from that. And to make things worse, he was very large and um and he was a sniper. That was his trade in the military. He was a sniper. Oh my so gosh. we get our buddy to, to come in and pretend that he's this, uh, Gary Grizzly. And it, it backfired on us because oh these, I, I think one of the ladies wanted to quit or did quit because <laughs> they were so frightened.
0: Yeah. And I, of course I, I'm on her side, by the way.
1: I know me too. Office manager even kind of comes back when he comes in, she says, he's here, he's here. <laughs> and, um, I'm just gonna stop right there. It was uh, it was a prank office prank that was unprofessional it went bad <laughs> and a lot of people are unhappy. Oh I would have blacked
0: but, out. I would have blacked out from fear. no joke.
1: Uh, yeah, yeah he and this guy did such a good job at acting. He used to, he, he just looked crazy and he looked mean fast forward six maybe even 12 months. Um, our our company um, is sponsoring the Senate bill in a state. We have to go I have to go argue before a Senate committee on why this bill should be put in, passed into law basically. And it was, it it basically streamlined the process of doing evictions. Mm -hmm. And, um, there was, uh, I had a lot of opposition in this, especially from retired 55 and older communities. So I go up to Capitol Hill, um, to meet before the Senate committee. And, um, it's just myself. I'm in my mid thirties probably. And, um, our attorney who helped write the bill who's about the same age. And we're walking up these marble steps to the third floor at this Capitol building. And I see a bunch of, there's a bunch of senior citizens up there who, who are our tenants really and coming to show up in opposition. And some were clearly going to be making statements to this committee of why this bill would not be beneficial to them. So it was, I was walking into this kind of uh, um, a situation where there could have been a little bit of a battle. So I come up, top of the stairs, laying on the ground is this guy, probably around 65, 70. He's like laid out in the ground, hard floor, like he's dead. (laughs) And there's like a dozen guys standing around him drinking their coffee, like staying a good like 10 feet away from him. Yeah. But just kind of looking at him. And I walk up and I'm like, guys, what is going on here? And one of them pointed to the guy on the floor and says, Well, he's dead. I said, how do you know? We'll look at him. I said, well, how long has he been like that? Uh, 30 seconds, maybe a minute. <laughs> I said, has someone called 911 or something? No. I said, well, someone take the initiative, call 911. Someone go downstairs or some police officers down there, say, we have a dead guy up here. And then myself and my attorney, we go down to examine this guy and see if we can do some CPR. I mean, you know, I've taken CPR classes before. Yeah. and." Um, this is a little, this is a little, um, piece of information that most people don't know when they take a CPR course, I've learned it since apparently when an adult has a heart attack, it's usually, um, um, they usually will throw up like vomit on themselves. Mm, So this guy had had a heart attack and he had thrown up all over. He was overweight. He had about 10 days of growth on his facial hair. And it was this, this, yellow slimy bile all over his face from throwing up he's laying on his back his mouth's open um coffee spilled by him and i'm trying to this is not my greatest hero moment because i was just so unprepared for this i was thinking about what i was going to say to a committee of senators (laughs) not doing cpr on my enemy
0: yeah with throw up so
1: i i went to Phil for his pulse on his neck um and by the way, that's kind of hard to do. I think you have to like be a nurse or a doctor to really do that. But I was hesitant because I mean, I had to like touch his throw up on his neck. Yeah. Kind of wiped it off a little bit with his own collar. And I go to feel for a pulse. I can't feel anything. I'm like, Ugh. I went to smell my fingers. Like, Oh, <laughs> um, so I went for his wrist to fill his wrist to see if I could feel a pulse. there. So I couldn't feel anything. And he was overweight too. I just, anyhow, poor guys laying there. And, um, I say to the attorney, I said, I, I can't tell if he's breathing or not. I put my ear down next to his lips to see if I could hear anything. I did hear some like groans, which I've learned since is like just, they're like, I think they call them death gasps. Mm -hmm. Cause it's just your lungs. Just, you know, just the air going out of them. And then I'm like, I don't know, dude, I think we should be doing CPR, but we were both avoiding it because it was a really gross situation. (laughs) And, um, Sorry, this has nothing. Well, this does come back around to Gary Grizzly, and um, I don't know why I'm using that name. Gary's my brother, um, your dad.
0: <laughs> He's kind but, of grizzly.
1: Uh, all of a sudden, his color changes, like in a snap. Like he went like blue. I'm like okay, we got to do CPR. Yeah. And the attorney aggressively takes the initiative and like jumps on, him, straddles him. Like Dude, that's not that's not how you do. it. It's like I'll do compressions. I look at him like, oh, of course you will. Yeah, great. <laughs> you know, that means I gotta put my mouth on his mouth.
0: Oh my gosh. And
1: he goes and he gets he's so excited and so like nervous. And he's not a big guy either. He gets and he does like two compressions, and you hear like every rib crack. Oh. And I said, Bro, ease up. If he wasn't if he's not already dead, you probably punctured his heart with yeah. the compressions. Ease up. He's okay, okay. I said, Now just do two more lightly. And literally, I'm getting ready to just go down and just suck it up and put my lips to this guy's mouth. Oh my gosh! This um, highway patrolman, who is a real hero, comes running up. Literally, kind of slides upon his knees. Says, "What can I do? How can I help?" I said, "We're doing CPR. Breathe." Goes, <laughs> you ready for now? I said, "Yeah, breathe now." And he goes, "Okay." And he goes down to breathe, and he pauses when he sees and smells what he's about to breathe into. I said, "I said, don't hold back. Breathe now." he does a couple breaths. Oh and, you know, the, the guy, meanwhile, the attorney easing up on his compressions. And this guy, he's doing it. And long and short of it, paramedics show up. We get up, walk away. Just in time for the news, some reporters come up and say, hey, what's your name? York. Are you the president of this company? Yes. Well, are you here to argue, you know, for the Senate bill? Yes. It isn't, aren't these people like your opposition? I'm like, yes. Well, are you the only one to stand in? And help you know one of their you know one of their fallen soldiers and i said apparently but i i didn't really do a great job really it's this, you know this uh, highway patrolman the long and short of it I, i'm embarrassed to say that the article made me look like i was a hero <laughs> and i really did, i really chickened out on going down and you, down on down this
0: guy i don't even shake my tenant's hands you're touching their throw up oh my god i know
1: so he's sadly, he, the, he was revived temporarily by, by the paramedics, but died from the hospital. Oh my gosh. We go in, argue for the Senate bill, and we actually end up negotiating with, with another attorney that they would pass the bill, or they, they at least, I don't know the whole process, but it would pass committee, which means that it would probably pass. Mm-hmm. If I agreed to go and do a town hall, where I would speak to like a group of whoever wanted to listen about what the bill was about and answer some of these senior citizens' questions and concerns. And I said, okay, yeah, I'll do that if we can get the bill passed. Well, two weeks later, it was published in the paper, my name, that I would be at this place. It was like a place <laughs> like, it was like bigger than, it was huge, yeah. indoor place. There was probably five or 600 people there most of senior citizens holy cow and i was just i was i was ambushed there they they obviously had people planted and they're just to ask me all the hard questions and i, I was there and the the, uh, the vps from and other executives from the company were there kind of in support but i was the only spokesperson so i'm answering a bunch of hard questions i remember though i said i have time for one more question after an hour basically being booed yeah up on stage um, and this guy says, okay, so I have one more question. Will you, or will you not raise our rent like you do every year in this coming May? I think it was in the state. And it was really tempting for me to say, well, well, we'll, we'll, consider We'll, we'll, we'll take a look at it. And it was just, the room was just dead quiet. And I said, you can 100% plan on it. Guaranteed there will be a rent increase next May. And I was waiting for like things to be thrown at me or booed, but everyone was quiet. It's like, okay, he, we know where he stands. It was quiet. Meeting was over. I said, we will be staying. I said, I've got my guys. They're around here. They're in the suits. If you want to get in lines and ask some specific questions that or concerns that you have that really are specific to yourselves, then we're going to stick around for 30 or 40 minutes. So we were all in lines and there was a big line in front of me, probably 50 people. Yeah. And a lot of them were really nice people with real concerns. Hey, I'm on fixed income. What do I do? If you raise the rent and or my neighbor, you know, their dog won't stop barking. How do I handle this? So yeah. those kind of questions. Mm-hmm. So most of them were nice older ladies, honestly. Yeah. At the back of my line there was this guy. And he was, I, I'd never seen him. He was big, though. He reminded me of, I think his name was Jason Buck, who's a football player at BYU. Okay. He was just, the fact that I didn't even know the name of a sports figure I know, is impressive. Way impressive. This guy was like six seven and big and kind of intimidating. Uh, and, but, you know, well-dressed, kind of a handsome guy with a beard. And um, he, was, he was so patient. And, in fact, a couple other people came to get in line behind him. He said, no, no, you go ahead. I'm like, oh, this guy is just probably coming he has some questions about his mom who lives in one of our properties. Yeah. So everyone's almost gone out of this whole huge auditorium. My guys are just milling around. They they stopped answering questions 20 minutes before. And this guy comes up and he says to me, I'm mean, I'm gonna tell you what he really said. It's a little bit graphic. Yeah, no, so scary. forgive me, dear audience, but this <laughs> was said to me. He comes up to me and I said, Hey, thank you for being so patient um, and waiting, you know, till the end. And he says, That's fine then he comes up, he gets in my like, gets in my personal space, and he's like, six inches taller than me. And he says, do you know who I am? I said, no, I don't. And, and he says, well, my name is, and he says his name, let's just say it's Gary Grizzly. He says, do you know me now? And I wanted to say, well, yeah, you were like kind of a famous poet. You write poetry about me on the side of your coach. Of course I know you. <laughs> i said yeah actually i do i said now that i I hear your name i know who you are how can i help you and he says well you can help me by just listening to me he gets in my face and he says i'm gonna take from you what you took from me i know where your kids go to school i know where you live i think you know that i'm a trained sniper and he says And I'm not going to stop until I have your balls on a (laughs) stake. Oh my gosh. And I was kind of speechless, but I do know that we had like four or five plain clothed cops there, which I insisted on. Mm -hmm. And I said, Hey guys, can I get a police officer over here? And I said, bro, are you really like threatening my family right now? I said that first. And he says, Oh, you heard me. I said, Hey, we need a police officer over here. And literally this guy is just gone goes out the side door and he's gone.
0: Oh, oh my police gosh.
1: officers come over like in suits and a couple of my guys come over. and They say, Hey, what's going on? What was that guy? T- what, what was he doing? I tell my guys, I'm like, this is that guy. <laughs> and they're like, no, you're kidding me. I said, no, it's the guy. And then after a couple minutes of them asking me, I said, okay, it's a joke, right? This is payback for me doing the <laughs> yeah. prank at the office. He's an actor, right? I know like, he's not an actor. This is the real deal," I said. He's like gonna like you know, have my privates put on a stake, and he knows where <laughs> everyone lives. And he's a sniper. I said, "I'm kind of freaking out here a little bit." And they said, "We, uh, one of my main guys, is we got to call the cops. I mean, you got to report this." I said, yeah. "No, you know what? Uh, the guy saw my name in the paper. He he knows. You know, really, ultimately, I was responsible for his eviction." He said his piece. He just wanted to intimidate me. I mean, let's just let it go. Oh my god! They, they said you should really report this. I'm not going to report it. We drive home. The next morning, I'm at a funeral. Sad, sad story. One of the one of the um, young men in um, our ward, our church congregation, had had died in a car crash.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So it was really sad. I'm at this funeral, and I'm thinking about death, right? Because yeah. I'm at a funeral. It's bugging me. So I finally walked out of the funeral. I go outside and I call up the, the county sheriff's department. <laughs> and I said, um, hey, this happened to me. I'd like to follow a police report. This happened to me last night. I'm going to make a big deal out of it, but maybe it should be on the record. And the lady who took the report said, okay, yeah, we'll have a detective look at it. We'll call you back in the next 24 to 48 hours. Because she said, do you feel like you're an eminent threat? I said, no. But I'm just putting it on the record. She calls um, I go back, I sit down on the pew. I'm like, okay, well, at least I reported it. My phone rings like two minutes later. Yeah. Walk out. And I said, hello. And this gentleman said, hey, this is Detective So and so. I got your report. This happened last night. I said, yes. And you're sure th- this was so and so? I said, yes. Can you describe him? Yes. I described him as a mountain of a man, you know, with a born to kill tattoo kind of guy. <laughs> <laughs> and he said, "Did you see what was he wearing?" I described, and he said, "What what vehicle did he drive away?" And I said, "I have no idea." And he said, ah, "Any other information?" And I said, "Is this a problem? I mean, should I be afraid?" and he, and he said, "You should be very afraid. <laughs> this person has been in and out of jail most of his adult life, when he obviously wasn't in." tiger cage. Yeah. And he says, and um, he, he should be in jail for the rest of his life, but he's been out in technicalities and yeah, you should be I'm like, Oh, great. I <laughs> said, well, what do I do, man? Do I need to go get a gun? And he says, I can't advise you on what to do other than, yeah, this is a problem and protect yourself in any way you think you need to. So this story could go on forever, but that's basically, it, it led to getting the dog and dog bit the neighbor. It's, uh, it just goes on and on. But that is one of my crazy convoluted, um, year in the life of a property manager.
0: Dude, that, that story, that kind of sucks the life out of me. And it happened to you and you're still so full of life. Literally, if that happened to me, I, I <laughs> probably, <laughs> I probably you curl up and die. I literally would have fainted on the spot. If that dude said like, I know where you live. As soon as he said that, I'd be like, Hey, say no more. I'm about to have a heart attack anyway, and uh you you put it nicely when you say he's painting poetry on the side of his manufactured home. He's writing to those listeners who don't understand he spray painted murder York that's called premeditation and, yeah, <laughs> and then he goes to you and tells you it. to your face he's going to kill you and your kids i wouldn't I wouldn't have been able to sleep for until that dude was in jail. And even then I would have been, yeah, well,
1: you know what time heals. he didn't shoot me. I think I was right. He just saw my name in the paper. So I'm gonna go rattle his cage and, and it did a little bit, but um, yeah, it's look, it's a, it's an interesting business where you um, are involved in other people's lives on, on such a fundamental need, mm-hmm. their housing. And, and, it's like you know. It's like a mama bear. You mess with her kid, you know. You, know, you can have the most docile woman. Yeah. You know, turn into a mother bear on you. Yeah. And same thing. You know, when you're dealing with someone's with their roof over their head, their home, it gets really sensitive. It gets really personal, real quick. Which, by the way, is just a good reason to do it by the book. Treat everyone the same. Whatever the local laws are, stick to them, and it gives you at least a little bit. Uh, a, a margin of, if not, uh, not necessarily safety, but of being consistent. Yeah. So
0: that's true. I, yeah, I, I do that. I'm I alive. I'm, I'm,
1: so, I'm still around to talk about it. <laughs>
0: yeah. Oh, that literally, I like my palms are sweating. No joke after hearing that story. And that's the <laughs> second time I've heard that story. Um, so I wanted to jump into something, maybe a little bit more upbeat, uh, and less spooky, uh, because you are a helicopter pilot and a fixed wing pilot. You yes. were the first in the family, I recall, at least getting your helicopter license, and now every single one of my uncles has their helicopter license.
1: Um, trendsetter right here.
0: Yeah, you are a trendsetter. So between the two, flying your fixed wing, your Kodiak, and your helicopter, what do you prefer?
1: Oh, hands down, a helicopter. I, I will, I'll, I'll get it in a fixed wing if it serves a purpose, You know, which is basically maybe efficient travel between... Point A and Point B, but I won't get in it to go on a sunny day to go look at you know a new snowfall on the mountains, yeah, or even fall colors, you know. Um, but in a helicopter, I, it is you, you feel like a kid in candy shop every time. Yeah, you get in it. Well, that's it. What, it, it, it doesn't change.
0: We went when I lived with you and, and worked for you in California. Um, that was one thing I loved. If we were bored in the day, you'd say, "Hey, you want to go fly?" and we'd go. We'd go over these lava fields in the desert. We'd go over, over downtown Los Angeles, um, fly over the Playboy Mansion, over the Hollywood sign. We'd go camp on you know, Catalina Island. There's just so many then places. Then back
1: over to the Playboy Mansion. We never <laughs> saw anything nefarious, by the way. You never do.
0: No, I know. I was like, this is bull crap. I was like, drop me off here. I'm going to see if anyone's home. And, yeah. <laughs> uh, but I, I did see on your Instagram. It's so funny. So I don't have social media, and but without a fail, like w- once a week, someone in my office will come up and be like, dude, did you see what your uncle York did? I'm like, no. <laughs> and, and I probably shouldn't either. Cause I won't be able to focus the rest of the day. Um, but we saw, they showed me you bringing your helicopter back from, it looked like Canada or you were up in Canada or somewhere. Yeah. Re- recently Toronto. Yeah. So what were you doing up in Toronto? I mean, it looked like you were, it looked like you flew back from Toronto to Colorado.
1: They um so uh, I I got a really good deal on uh, an H one hundred and thirty, which is a really cool helicopter. Got the enclosed tail, you know, seat seven. Got a great deal, but you know, it's seen a little bit of mileage. So I took it to a shop called Eurotech up in Toronto. Um, it was there for four months, complete makeover: avionics, interior, paint on the outside. Um, the engine was a low time, but still, any maintenance items that were going to be doing the next few years they did then yeah so yeah i was bringing home basically a totally customized um and really better than new um airbus h130 helicopter and i did i flew back from uh toronto which normally um is you know in a neutral wind scenario is about a 12 13 hour flight but it turned into more like a 19 hours of flight time over three days mostly dodging weather.
0: Oh wow! Well, so when you're flying your helicopter, you had shared a story with me once because I, I know you've seen really cool things. You you had told me you were flying your, your helicopter. I think it was in Utah somewhere, uh, low to the ground, and then all of a sudden the earth starts opening up a little bit. There's a stream. It's green. You put you, you see like a family playing in the water. Um, didn't you touch down? But it was it was some family like living off the grid.
1: So I didn't touch down. I'll tell you why. Um, but it it this was actually near the Nevada, Utah border, but miles from anything. Yeah. You know, n- not, not near St. George or Cedar city or Vegas. So it's further North on the border, but yeah, it was just, it was very, very desert, boring landscape. And as you described, um, uh, a valley kind of opened up on the desert floor, which was like, like a little, turned out to be a little Canyon. And, um, it was just this like green Valley in the middle of this desert. And um, in fact, I could see that some crops were being grown a lot of greenery. There was water in this Valley that I think went through this Valley that seemed like it was maybe a few hundred yards across and maybe three or four miles long. Uh But you're right. It, It was, I'm like, Oh, so someone's here. I don't see any roads around, you know, I consulted maps and, I'm, I'm in a helicopter. I can see there's no roads around yeah, or power lines. And I kind of come up, I could see some buildings. And um, that was uh, when I'm getting, I'm slowing up a little bit. And I can see that there is a guy working on a tractor. And then I can see maybe hundred yards off of that. There's this pond it was more of a mud hole, but it was hot. It was in the middle of the summer, probably 120 degrees out. There was a bunch of kids and like three women, mm-hmm. all wearing dresses. So I, I'm sure I'm guessing it was like a you know like a polygamous family living yeah. off the grid. Yeah, that out there. Great. Um, and it was a hot it was a hot day. They had no AC, so they're out in this mud hole just. But they were playing. They were like throwing mud at each other. Yeah. And so, and I thought, oh, I said, you know what, this is. I'm in a black helicopter. You know, if it's like a fundamentals or something, I don't want to look like I'm snooping, you know, guns coming out. So I really, I I, kind of kept my speed up being slow, but still like, you know, maybe 30 miles. I just kind of just kept moving past. This guy did look up a little bit from, you know, his tractor he was working on, but, um, you know, didn't seem otherwise too bothered, but I did notice in a barn there was a semi truck, you know, like a, you know, like a, like a hauler, like a diesel hauler. And, um, so I could just see the back but didn't have a trailer connected to it. And then I picked up a little bit of altitude and I could see that just these a uh, uh, barely used road dirt road. So I had grass grown in the middle but there was two ruts where the tires would go where this guy obviously came in on. So he's, he was probably a, a truck driver who had his family there and you know he'd probably go out and drive for I don't know a week, a month and then come back once in a while. And the road was probably at least 15 miles of road was going in the the direction I wasn't, but leading obviously to another improved dirt road, which would have led to a a highway. So yeah, pretty cool. These things that you just see totally unexpected uh, off the grid. And, you know, I, I tried to respect their privacy Mm -hmm. a little bit and keep going, but, it was kind of it was kind of a magical scene there, really.
0: That's like some hills have eyes stuff. That spooks me out. I uh, would not have touched yeah. down there. Well, you've flown. No. you've flown all over. Really, all over the United States, mainly the West Coast, up into British Columbia and Canada. Um, where is your favorite spot to take your helicopter? Like, what's the most scenic, beautiful place you've been?
1: Well, I would say pr- probably like Vancouver, area, British Columbia. It, it, as far as just overall aesthetics it's hard to beat because it you know it's at sea level yet they have these mountains that rise to, I think they rise up to 9 ten maybe twelve thousand feet but unlike oh. in Utah where the valleys at 5,000 feet yeah you don't have that same prominence the mountains that go up to like 10 eleven thousand feet. Yeah. but there you have this prominence because it goes from sea level all the way up and they've got glaciers there you know that stick year round because they just get so much snow there, even though it's relatively warm. Yeah, and then you have all these m- blue mountain lakes. And there's a lot of places that you can land. Yeah, there. So you, you, I've landed at mountain these blue, crystal clear mountain lakes. And by the way, up there you got the the hills and the mountains are forested all the way down to the ocean. Yeah. Um, so nobody. I'm getting, sure no one else has been. Nobody. Because yeah, you can't get to much you have a helicopter. Yeah. Wow,
0: that's awesome.
1: So that's the most beautiful. But it's not my favorite place to fly is still probably Southern Utah, just because they're so. And Northern Arizona, I really like the the, the desert, the sandstone, and these flying in the around these features um, that are you just can't get to it. Yeah. Otherwise, they're just. Inaccessible because the terrain is so harsh. And so to go back and sit down on a, you know, on a butte, you know, surrounded by nothing but 2000 feet of free fall, you know, on top of this butte yeah. and setting up camp and, and looking at the stars, man, it's just a magical, it's a magical experience. You cannot do that on a super cub, you know, bush, bush plane, airplane period. It's uh, it, it's a real blessing, um, to be able to do that in a helicopter, that, which is why I get as many people as I can up to have that share that experience
0: with. Yeah, you do, and that—that's what's awesome about you. And, and what kind of fascinates me about the helicopter is, you are like you just mentioned—you're kind of going to these places where you may be the first person to set foot in that location.
1: Yep, one hundred percent.
0: And and you're camping there. There's nothing around you, and you're just alone in. God's country. I mean, it's, it's gotta be kind of a freeing feeling.
1: It is. And when you're, especially when you're down in like somewhere really just vast deserts or, you know, just isolated Southern Utah, Northern Arizona. Um, it really feels like a different planet. Yeah.
0: Gosh. Well, which is
1: why I like it. It's like, I feel like I'm on Mars.
0: Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. It's, it's a little bit of exploring. Um, I Someone else showed me a video um, of you recently, well, maybe like in the past month doing, and I don't know how much you want to talk on this. It was on your Instagram. So I feel comfortable talking about it of doing zero gravity in your airplane. Oh yeah. (laughs) So you had taken, you have, you have, I just want to paint the picture for the audience who don't know this. You have this Kodiak airplane, which is pretty much like a sprinter van with wings and you had taken all the, or not all, but a few of the seats out and, and Matt, your boy, was in the back as you are presumably nose diving. Cause all of a sudden he just starts floating up as if he's in zero G. Yeah. Um, right, yeah. Did, did you pass out doing this?
1: Um, yeah, you know what? I, I, in, in poor taste, I thought it was clearly a joke. Well, so <laughs> yes, I was doing that. My son, I had my two sons. He, he was, only one in that frame of him going to weightless. You do, you climb and then you dive and you, you get about a good 10 seconds of weightlessness. It was myself and a buddy who was up there. We're like filming it and it shows, you know, because then you pull a lot of G's pulling out of it. Yeah. It shows me like, like both of us kind of passing out. It was a joke, bad joke. <laughs> well, I, see. you know, because it shows us. And then all of a sudden, you know, it shows me kind of coming to and, you know, and flying the airplane. And I, uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, like I said, bad joke. But I did get <laughs> a number of DMs saying, "Did you just pass out? How can this be a good idea?" I'm like, well, it is legal what I was doing, and no, I didn't pass out. wasn't even close to. But it was stupid to pretend that. Well, was. someone was telling so, me yeah. about.
0: Someone was telling me about it. I'm like, New York is like the most cautious, like thought out flyer. He's not someone who's going yeah. to be pushing it to the point where he's going to pass out and risk his life, let alone his kids' lives in the back. But that's always something I want to do next time I'm near your plane. Let's go. Well,
1: you 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 know a guy who's willing to pop the seats out He yeah. go with yeah, us. Well, so let's, let's go nosedive. Sure. <laughs> um,
0: well, to wrap this up, there was, there was one story which I remember as a kid, but it, it kind of it stuck in my mind because – you're blessed to still be here. And this was when you were newly wed. So you would have been early twenties at this point. And you, you fell from a cliff. I don't know the height. We'll hear that in your story, but why don't you tell our listeners about it? Cause this is such a spooky life, you know, almost ending story.
1: Bro, you want to wrap up with this story? This could be like a two hour story. Let me try to do it in three minutes. Um, I had actually invented this really cool stunt. Um, it's called toying. It was actually before I was a missionary. So I was like 17. Yeah. I say I, my brothers and I, so your dad, um, it's basically, we, we were doing it up in Wyoming, you, you know, on the edge of a forest where you have a field and, and pine trees coming up to the edge of the field. We took a 200 foot static rope, climbed up a pine tree to about a hundred feet threw the rope off. So one inside to the top of the pine tree, That leaves another 100 feet at the bottom. Yeah. So you back a four-wheeler up to the base of the tree, hook the other end of the rope up to the four-wheeler. And so, and then you take a person, let's say myself, they grab the rope that's coming down from the top of the tree and hook into it with a harness. So at your feet, there's coiled up 100 feet of the excess rope at your feet. And the other end of that rope is tied to the four-wheeler. And you say, hit it. And your brother, Gary, in this case, he starts going through all the gears on this further They're going as fast as he can in, a, in 100 feet. And this rope's uncoiling. And, of course, when the rope is all the way out, what happens is it pulls this rope top at a 45-degree angle, right? <laughs> so it pulls you, who's standing at the bottom, hooked in with the harness, pulls you up to, I don't know, if you had a mathematician, they could tell you exactly how high. But up around 50 feet, maybe, maybe a little bit more. But because the tree bends, um, you know, so once the foiler gets to the end of the rope and it's stretched taut, he holds on the brakes and this tree is bending and it, you're like going back and forth like a rubber band, like you're on a rubber band, oh my hence we call it twain, like, you know, like guitar string. And it's a lot of fun. Um, and of course, trees would never break, right? Mm-mm. That wouldn't happen. I mean, you know. <laughs> walk through any forest, half the trees are down. <laughs> so dumb. <laughs> We did it and for the most part got away with it, My, you know, and we, we survived it. And my dad said, don't ever, ever do that again. And so fast forward three years after my mission, Gary calls me up and said, Hey, let's go do Twain up rock Canyon. And I said, well, there's no pine trees up rock Canyon. He says, yeah, we'll hook the top of the, we'll hook one rope to the top of a cliff a hundred feet up. You know, I still got that 20, 200 foot static rope. And I said, well, we don't, do you have a four wheeler? And he says, no, but I got my truck. We'll hook the other end of my truck. And he says, like, right there at the ki- at the the in the kitchen above, up, up, uh, that's what it's called. You used to be able to drive, drive all the way up to the gate at the at the kitchen in Rock Canyon. You can't now. So he says, you'll stand in the dry riverbed below. We'll hook the rope up 100 feet above. We'll climb up above and hook it up, and we'll do it. It'll be fun. So to not drag this out too much, um, <laughs> I did it a couple times. Mary or it was Gary's truck was an amigo. It was a short lived model. I don't even know who made it. Mazda, maybe.
0: I don't even, I don't even, never even know. heard of it.
1: But it's just yeah, it's just yeah, just this truck. And um we did it a couple times, it was kind of boring, honestly, because you have to have that twang mm-hmm. of the tree bending and it because it flips you back and forth. So I did it once, did it twice, and I said, Hey, I'm gonna climb up the cliff like 15 feet and I'm going to time it. And when the rope's coming out, I'm going to jump. So at least, you know, it like it'll arrest my fall before I hit the ground. If I time it right. And then it'll fling me up and maybe it will be more fun. Yeah, If you don't want. Right. And I said, oh, okay, that was cool. Um, I go to do it a second time. I was going to climb up higher. And my wife, by the way, who, who is not afraid for her husband's life. I'll call her like on day five of a shoot, helicopter shoot. Like, you know, I'm up in Canada. It's snowing. It's a blizzard. You know, we're, we're out in the, you know, getting fuel from barrels. I'm like calling on a staff and Jen, hey, just letting you know I'm alive. Everything's good. It's just like, oh, okay. Hey, I'm busy right now. I'm cooking dinner. Is, is everything okay? <laughs> I'm fine. Just thought you'd want to check in on me. We'll see you when you get back. So she doesn't worry. Right. Yeah. But this time she says, hey, York, don't do it. I said, it'll be fine because I had a really bad feeling. Don't do it. And I said, Jen, it's got like an 11,000 pound test on this rope, which by the way, had been used for these shenanigans for years. And it was dirty.
0: Yeah.
1: It was hooked to a truck. And I'm explaining to her all the, my engineering, you know, knowledge of how <laughs> it was going to be fine. And she says, please don't do it. And I said, Gary hit it. And he hit it. It's uncoiling. So I'm about 25 feet up. I time it right. Perfect. I jump, you know, maybe 10 feet from the ground. It snaps me up to about 50 feet, yeah. 55 feet. And I'm in seated position. Like, like you're going down a zip line. Yeah. You know, it's a, like at a 45 degree angle. And um, all of a sudden I hear this. Um, it sounded like a cannon went off This snap. And what it was was the, the, the sound of an 11,000 pound test <laughs> rope snapping on the sharp edge of the cliff near where it was anchored up above yeah. and so um all i remember is thinking I, I don't know how i'm gonna survive this you know you, you chuck big air on some skis like okay this is bad i'm not gonna land right but i'm gonna land i'm gonna yard sale but i'm gonna roll this is how i'm gonna this is what's gonna happen yeah it's gonna be okay and it usually is this situation where i'm falling and backpedaling I was thinking to myself, I don't know how I'm going to survive this. By the way, i had been married about three months. <laughs> and um, I'm looking down, I'm looking down. First thing they hit, because I'm looking over my left shoulder in this dry riverbed, was my left arm, which um, was all but obliterated. Oh my God. 10 surgeries over about 10 years, and it's still reasonably functional. And the next thing they hit was my face, because I was looking down, you know, over my shoulder. And then my rest of my body was laid out kind of over this oval rock. It was maybe four feet and that, you know, four feet across, Yeah, which really kind of ended up, it was a good place to land for my back. I did have three compression fractures um, in my spine and other breaks and other places. And um, I'd I passed out. I mean, I was like dead,
0: but you, but you remember and, uh, impact on impact, boom,
1: impact. And like splat, I was there. And, my friend jen gary comes running to the edge because i'm down the riverbed they're, they're 20 feet above me yeah and jen says yeah yeah you were look like you were dead flat, not moving and yeah. then we were just all just standing there like in shock then all of a sudden i started having a seizure and i was like flipping blood everywhere because my face was just smashed in yeah so long and short of it is is they come down they come down and help me. And there's two EMTs who happen to be rock climbing who five minutes before said, that guy's going to have an accident. Let's go <laughs> down and let's go get, they went and got their pack. Cause they wow. knew they were going to have to yeah. save me. Cell phones had just come out. One guy saw me doing it. Same thing. This guy's an idiot. He, he. as soon as it happened, he called 911. So there's an ambulance up there literally in less than 10 minutes, Oh wow, which never happens. Yeah. And so I just, I remember coming to hearing this guy say, uh, York give me an airway give me a cough up you got blood give me an airway because I my mouth was filling up with blood and they didn't want to turn me over. Yeah. And so I remember I coughed and I just finished taking a first responder course, which is how I learned how to do CPR for <laughs> you know 15 years later. Yeah, when I'm
0: Mr. Throw up. Live
1: guy's live <laughs> and I remember them saying do not Those hepatitis and AIDS were kind of scary and, and unknown at the time. Yeah. So they remember them saying do not handle anybody unless you got gloves and a mask and so I don't remember saying this, but apparently I said, Hey, please help me. I don't have AIDS or hepatitis. And I passed back out again. <laughs> then I woke up in the, in the ambulance and the EMT was saying, Hey, you've been in an accident. I was totally confused. He said, Hey, don't move really. But I just want you to see if you can press the toes, to the bottom of your boots. And then you immediately, why he was asking me if I could do that. Yeah. Well, Miss, well, gosh, yeah, you have a brother who's a quadriplegic. So, you know, yeah. That was a fear. Um, but I could feel, you know, I could feel bottom of my boots at the time, which was a godsend. But as you know, some of these things, it's 10 hours later when swelling. Yep. Um, causes the problem, but, um, long and short of it, the, you know, it was months in bed and, uh, honeymoon was over (laughs) and maybe, maybe I'll leave you with this takeaway. It's kind of interesting. Um, it was, it was an awful year the next year recovering from that. And, um, I was a newlywed and um, like I said, the honeymoon was over and uh, it was kind of a, the most bonding experience I could have had with being recently married. I mean, months of throwing up blood cause had so much head and sinus injury that, you know, And it did not take well to any painkillers, which Mm -hmm. is probably a blessing, but just months of that and changing bloody puke buckets and everything else that goes with basically someone who's an invalid for a while. Um, Just, yeah, it made me love my
0: wife. Well, yeah, you've got a very, very good wife because a lot of women in an experience like that could have maybe ran the other way. No.
1: oh yeah she she was a total rock star N- never once a complaint and um yeah so f- f- for me you know the the scales were forever out of balance there's no <laughs> you know nothing I, nothing no wrong she could do that you know would um outweigh you know just yeah it was a really bonding experience having her do that yeah, take care of me.
0: Nursing you back to life.
1: Anyways, yeah. So that was, uh, man, anytime I'd watch a movie or like MASH or something where someone was in the hospital, I would get emotional because yeah. like the, the pain just would remind me of that pain and that misery. So yeah. Thanks, Devin.
0: <laughs> well, I feel like I- Bringing me
1: back to those hard times.
0: I feel like I can relate emotional. to because because I've had several dreams where I fall off a cliff. I always wake up right before I hit, but yeah. uh, you actually- fell off a real cliff in real life and you didn't get and to hit. And hit. You didn't get to wake up before you hit.
1: Hey, I bet you here, here's maybe one silver lining in that is you, you know, your dad and your uncles, we, we do a lot of stupid things. And it really kind of, cause I mean, I'm still walking around with aches and pains from that. Yeah. And, um, it, it kind of humbled me. It was an eye opener that, you know, you're not immortal. And I think there's a lot of shenanigans that I probably would have done that I was, I gained this knowledge and wisdom the hard way that I didn't do. So I'm figuring it didn't kill me, but it probably saved me from some future (laughs) drastic death doing something stupid.
0: Yeah. Because in my eyes, I still see you guys doing crazy stuff where I'm like, yeah, no, I'm not doing that. (laughs) (laughs) But That's awesome.
1: Hey buddy, this was awesome. I, I think I've gone well over my 45 minutes. Um, it's an honor to be featured on uh on devin's podcast
0: yeah dude of course i'm glad i mean you you have like so many stories you've lived such a crazy life i'm glad that you shared a little bit of you know a few of those stories i know my audience will will love it and and thank you for joining me york i appreciate it
1: okay buddy you just owe me like um a home-cooked meal because i know you can do it that's so true i
0: know i haven't actually cooked one meal, no joke, since I stopped working for you.
1: Oh, well, she gets back in the game. So six Move years. Back, moved to Colorado.
0: <laughs> Seriously. Okay, York, I appreciate it, dude.
1: All right, buddy, signing out. Thank okay, you. see you.
0: Thank you guys so much for listening. I hope you enjoyed this episode as much as I did. I appreciate York for getting on and doing this episode with me. Stay tuned next week. We've got more fun stuff coming your way. Thanks, you guys.